Your attention is precious. Pulled in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of Blue. Learn more at BenefitOfBlueSC.com. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah Woo-hoo! often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mike Drop, podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He spent four years on active duty as an Army officer. We're not going to hold that against him. Uh, he did uh, maintain infantry platoon leader status. He is a Ranger School graduate, which we're going to get into the uh, dick dragging that that is. He's the author, author of 25 Hours a Day. He's the CEO of Bear Performance Nutrition. And he actually ran here from Austin. Uh, he burns through shoes faster than a stripper at the Spearmint Rhino. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Nick Bear. Thank you for having me on. It's, uh, it's quite an introduction. I wish I would have ran here. I have yeah. to run, actually, after this podcast. So, yeah. Before we get started, I'd like to take a quick second to talk about our awesome sponsors for today's podcast. We've got Origin Labs, uh, which is the mako, maker of Jocko's products. Uh, they also make... Uh, jeans, which I actually happen to be wearing. And uh, if I'm being honest, while I'm sitting here, it's actually massaging my ass. So if you buy a pair of Origin jeans, they have boots and geese as well, you'll actually have your ass massaged while you wear them. They're, uh, they're actually really comfortable. Uh, I wear them quite a bit. Uh, their products, the Jocko uh, Fuel, uh, is, is kind of the main brand at this point, but they've got a whole whole line of other supplements. Go check them out. Uh, they've been steadfast uh, sponsored supporters of this podcast for a while now uh, and we sure appreciate their support uh, also bubs naturals the mct oil powder and the collagen powder is something that i have in my coffee cup right now um, it's something that i take every day uh, i absolutely notice a defining difference in taking them um, with a number of things mental clarity uh, skin elasticity uh, digestion help uh, my joints feel much better um, and, and what I love about this company also is that it's named after and started by, uh, Glenn Doherty. The, the name Bubs is, is Glenn's nickname. He was a good friend of mine. That was one of the seals killed in Benghazi and, uh, his life, lifelong childhood friend, uh, Sean and, and another guy started the company in, in Glenn's name and they give 10% of all sales to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. So, uh, support them, check them out again uh, with both Jocko's products and Origin Labs uh, and the Bubs stuff. I, uh, I I take that stuff every day and, and uh, really love to support a good good group of veteran-owned guys. So 
at any rate, when I, I've, I've been uh, looking at, at some of what you got going on social media-wise, and uh, we'll, we'll get into training for Boston and, and what that entails and, and the why. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was looking at uh, people asking you questions about how fast you go through shoes, and, and I was just like, Jesus Christ, like the amount of mileage you're putting in getting ready for that is, is legit, no no two ways about it. It's probably a pair, a pair of shoes a month right now. Yeah, that's nuts. And they're the Hoka brand, right, which yeah. it's not like those are cheap. Um, or cheaply built either. What uh, What is your favorite cheat meal? Favorite cheat meal? I don't know if you guys have them out here. We have Hop Dotty. It's a burger spot in uh, it's right by our warehouse in Round Rock. It's oh, okay. all, a lot of, a lot of them in Austin. Yeah, it's like these artisan burgers and then these Parmesan truffle fries. Yeah. So me and my fiance started going there. We like this is massive bowl of fries. Yeah. And we'd get our own. We'd, we'd share it. And slowly, I was like, No, I'm getting my own. So every time we order, they say. <laughs> You know you can share these fries. Yeah. No, we're not. We're not yeah. sharing these. Yeah, just because you can doesn't mean you need to. Exactly. So that what uh, what's the best burger? What which burger do you get there? This is one called a uh, bacon jam double, and it's like yeah. it's a bacon jam. I don't know exactly what that means, or there's no bacon in it. <laughs> oh, it's just like the jam is bacon flavored. Right, yeah. but uh, it literally just it melts in my mouth. Oh shit! That uh, repeat the name of that. The Bacon Jam Double. Did, or I'm sorry, the name of the Oh, Hop, Hop Dotty. Hop Dotty. That's weird. Uh, yeah, it must be an Austin thing. Austin is weird, right? It's all over weird. Yeah. Uh, what is the most miserable you've ever been? Most miserable, I'd say, say my time at Ranger School. Is there a specific time that kind of stands out? Well, it's a 61-day course. I spent 140-plus days there. <laughs> you, um, did, you did it twi- twice and a half? Yeah, so essentially, um, there's... If you enter on this one date late February, it's called the best ranger competition date. Yeah. If you recycle that that phase at all or during that that course date, you have a six week holdover. So I went into the first phase, failed because of patrols, had a six week holdover where I was like cleaning up Fort Benning for six weeks. Yeah. Pulling Sweet. weeds out of the pond, painting fence posts. Sweeping the parking lot. Yeah, just a bunch of bullshit. Went back in, passed, went to mountains, failed mountains right away. Uh, from patrols again, past mountains, past Florida, graduated. But I would say like that second time through mountains, um, I remember coming coming in from the field the one day, and I passed this mirror. And I catch myself in the mirror, and I had to like second glance because I didn't recognize myself. I dropped so much weight. Yeah. Um, but I would say, I mean, there were, there were some like standout stories from my time in ranger school that are definitely like shit times. Yeah, like the worst. I mean, from a, I guess from a standpoint of what you do now, um, are there any times where you've pushed yourself now as hard as, as you were pushed in ranger school and, and make yourself as miserable as you were then? I think I tried to make myself as miserable as I was then. I think I'm a person where ranger school for me was a pivotal point in my life because up until then, I never really was challenged that way. Yeah. Um, so I always tell people like there's, you know, you can go, two people can go through the same experience. One person might pull a completely different perspective from it. Yeah. For me, going through ranger school and spending that time there was this pivotal point where I learned this is what you have to do to go all in. So now I learned what it takes to succeed from that and I apply that to the rest of my life. Yeah. Whether that's fitness, business, like I, I look forward to the shitty times. Yeah. Yeah, the, cha- the challenge, right? I, I think humans are, are meant to suffer in, uh, in some ways for sure, or we thrive on it. I think if you try to avoid it, you're you're cutting yourself short. Oh, for sure. Well, uh, what what's the biggest failure you've had? Biggest failure, I'd say, 
you know, I don't want to call it a failure, but when I first, I think it was perspective when I first launched my company. So when I launched my company, I was studying nutrition in college. This is 2012. Uh, I was in the Army ROTC program, so I knew that a year later I was going active duty uh, infantry. And I launched my business with no idea how hard it was going to be. So I remember launching it. I told my dad, hey, like, first year, I said, I'm going to make a million dollars this first year. He just laughed at me. He said, no, no you're not. Yeah. I launched it, made $20,000 that year after just shoving in people's face, massive, steep, 50% off discounts. First three years, we did $20,000 in revenue. Yeah. To me, that was, I was failing. You know, and it wasn't until I, I realized what I have one foot in, one foot out. I don't, I didn't realize at the time what it was going to take to make a business succeed. Yeah. And I learned through a lot of failures, a lot yeah. of mistakes. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that's with most things in life, but, uh, you know, to me, the, the intelligence and the mistake or, or, you know, the, the learning experience from the failures is where, you know, most of life's best lessons are, are absolutely learned. Um, the follow-up question is, what are you most proud of? Is it safe to say that uh, pushing through and, and being successful, or is there something in your life that, that kind of takes the cake as being what you're most proud of? I'd say at this point in my life, my business, yeah. and I've had it for eight years now, and seeing where it started. Um, and at the time, in the beginning, you know, there was never a point where I was like, I'm going to close this down. It's not working. I'm, I'm, I'm going to close it down. It was, well, I'm just going to keep doing this because... I'm so passionate about this. Yeah. At the time, it, it wasn't making money in the beginning. I didn't. I didn't care. Yeah. But seeing where it is today, and where it first started, that's that's a constant. Like that's constantly in my head all day, every yeah. day. Yeah. No, that's great shit. Uh, what's the scariest moment of your life? Man, scariest moment. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in business terms. I mean, I think being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about other people, almost like being in the military. And I remember it was, I was in South Korea stationed and I was getting ready to go to the field for 30 days. No access to my phone, no access to anything. And uh, I tried using my credit card for the business to make a purchase for something, wouldn't go through. At the time I was using USAA uh, for, for my for my business. I didn't know at the time you know, young entrepreneur, I didn't know you could, couldn't use a, a personal account for business. <laughs> yeah. So card wouldn't go through. And, um, I just figured, Hey, USA, just, you know, maybe viewed it as a risky transaction. So I called the bank and they let me know that because I was using this personal account for business, they seized all my accounts. I didn't have access to these accounts for, um, up to 60 days. I was about to go under like investigation. So I couldn't touch any of my accounts. So here I am about to leave for 30 days, having this business that's growing, realizing, well, I have no, I'm not, my hands are off. Like I have no yeah. way to control this anymore. Yeah. And that that's at one point I remember like it felt like my life was literally crushing underneath me. Yeah. And how old were you at that point? It's 20, <clears throat> 24. 24, yeah. The, uh, yeah, I mean, for sure the, the element of, um, you know, banking institutions having you by the balls that way, uh, you know, is, is it's legitimate and it sucks, frankly. I, you know, there's been instances not quite like that, but, uh, but similarly where I've, uh, you know, learned the hard way and, and been just naive going into things and, and thinking, I'll just do this. And then, you know, you, you realize very quickly that, uh, that there's a, a method to the madness and, 
there is a, a rhyme to the reason, if you will, and, and those are, are some shitty, shitty lessons at the time, but I'm assuming for you, just like with me, everyone that I look back on, I'm, I'm glad that I learned when I did, and, and you know, they're, they're valuable. You know, they're, they're ones that I think, you know, to, to learn it on your own, they're, they're far more valuable than somebody, you know, holding your hand and, uh, and kind of guiding you through the process all the way. Having said that, I mean, obviously business mentors are great, but uh, some of those lessons, I think, are, are best learned the hard way, honestly. Maybe, maybe I'm a dipshit, but... Uh, what does your uh, your morning routine look like uh, when you're in town? I'm a massive person of routine. Like mm-hmm. I like having my routine. So I'm up at like 4:45, 5 a.m. Time do you go to bed? Between 10 and 11 p.m. Yeah. So like 4:45, 5 a.m. I'm up. I'm in the kitchen making coffee, um, taking my morning supplements, and then I'm on the computer right away, just catching up with admin stuff. So I like to do like the first hour and a half of every morning knocking out as much admin stuff as possible so that when I get to the office, like I'll try to get to the office around 7 a.m. Um, that I can focus on stuff with the team, mm-hmm. like developing the team, working on longer range operations, if you will. Um, so I can knock out all my like kind of BS admin stuff right away. Lately, my routine has been, I wake up, I go to the garage, I hop in the ice bath. I'm in the ice bath for three minutes. Now that's like four shots of espresso yeah. to the face and I'm good to go for the day. So are you prepping that the night before or what? Ice bath? Yeah. No, so I actually, I made one in the garage. I bought a, a Frigere 14 cubic foot deep chest freezer. Yeah. Sealed all the inner linings, um, filled it with water, turned it on for a few days, and it gets down to like 34 degrees. And then um, I'll unplug it and let it sit there till it starts getting warm, plug it in, unplug it. Okay. Kind of control it that way. And then I'll, I'll put a sub pump in there to remove water, filter it out. But like for my training right now, the ice bath has been game changing. From a, like an inflammation standpoint? Right. So like more so it has improved my ability to, re- to recover and train faster mm-hmm. like that next day. So I can, I can tell a big difference. But so you're doing this first thing in the morning, right? First thing in the morning. Unless, it's a, unless I have like a 20 plus mile run that day, I'll do it a few hours after that run. Yeah. I mean, that, that's my, I guess, my intuition or the next question is why not do it uh, as, as kind of an ice bath recovery? Why, why first thing in the morning? So multiple reasons. One, you don't want to do it right after the exercise because you want the, those muscles to adapt and you don't want to stunt that, that hypertrophy. Um, for me in the morning, it's, it's one, like a discipline thing. It's a mental thing. Like the last thing I want to do when I wake up, especially in the colder months, is going to the garage, get naked, and get into a 32 degree, yeah. you know, 35 degree body of water. So it's like overcoming that first like thing that I don't want to do in the morning sets the precedence for the rest of my day. Yeah. So every other decision is almost just a little bit easier of yeah. things that I want to do. And then uh, it kind of starts my day off. It, it wakes me up. I feel good. I feel fresh. My legs feel fresh. Like I, I can, like yesterday was my first day in for probably not being in for a week. Um, just because we were traveling and whatnot, and I got in, and I could instantly feel my legs like become fresher, feel really? better, instantly. Does your fiance ever get in there with you? I got her to go in once for a video. But <laughs> One no, fucking time. no, she won't do it. Yeah, uh, of course. Seeing you uh, getting into cold water first thing in the morning, it looks like a button on a fur coat. I'm sure too, right? Absolutely, <laughs> it's not doing her any favor. No, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, did she fucking scream when she got in, or? 
she was freaking out. Yeah. I, I, I convinced her eventually. I was like, just do it for, for yeah. a video. People yeah. will love it. Yeah. And, uh, it took her a few tries, but she finally did it. Yeah. That's fucking great. Um, all right. So in terms of your childhood, I, I went through the book and, and I, you know, from reading that you're from Pennsylvania and, and grew up on a dairy farm, I'm curious, there, there seems to be a lot of, um, you know, both influence and, and kind of inflection of, of how you grew up and where and, and what you did and, and how that's really built into a lot of the things that you kind of uh, embody today. Uh, I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit about your upbringing, um, you know, similarly to how you did in the book, but just kind of a synopsis of, uh, of where it was and, and, uh, and, and what you took from that for, uh, for the listener that hasn't, hadn't checked out the book yet. Yes. I grew up in central Pennsylvania, a small town called Palmyra right outside of Hershey. And, um, you know, at the time growing up, I didn't think I had a very dynamic or different upbringing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, you know, when you're, when you're in it, you really can't, especially young, you can't look back and have a perspective that's yeah. greater or larger. And my dad's side of the family were all farmers. Everyone, everyone's had a farm. My, my dad grew up on the dairy farm. Um, and, you know, farmers are a, it's a unique breed of person and sure. family because those, those people, like the farm is life. Yeah. Like there's, there's no vacations, like especially dairy farming, you're milking in the morning, you're milking in the evening. There's no questions about it. Um, their life is determined by the weather, the seasons, the crop. Um, and just seeing the discipline that like my dad, my uncle, my grandfather had growing up and just, it wasn't something they had to teach me or tell me. I just watched it mm-hmm. just from experience. Right. So I had that side of the family, my dad's side, all farmers, my mom's side, a lot of the men, uh, were military. And this is the reason I decided to join the military is I watched, you know, I was in high school and my cousin was a hundred first and I saw him coming back and forth from deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. And I kind of just saw the way he changed the person, the way he developed kind of the way he grew up. And I, as soon as I saw that, I instantly, I wanted that experience Yeah, at, to some extent. So I grew up with like these two very strongly different, but same type of disciplined mindsets that I would say molded me to, to do the things that I wanted to do. But it was like this expectation, this, this standard that was already established as I was growing up. That was, I'd say higher than most people experience. Yeah. And it was, there was this baseline that I was running off of. So did you get out there? I mean, were you with your dad, uh, most days every day i mean did, did you help out from from what age so i i personally didn't grow up on the farm uh my grandpa had the farm my dad grew up on the farm i would help out occasionally doing jobs like my grandpa would give me a job uh bailing hay or give me a job like uh filling chicken houses stuff like that so i would work random you know jobs on farms growing up but i was never i didn't grow up actually on the farm with him yeah but i saw the way my my grandfather extended family dad kind of did as as i was growing up yeah uh in terms of your on your mom's side with the military <clears throat> um what what was their kind of response uh or reaction to to you deciding to go in super supportive i mean obviously my mom um she was nervous yeah. when i wanted to go in um my uncle was a huge role model for me. Um, you know, he was a lieutenant colonel in the army, uh, infantry officer. So I saw like kind of the way he, just his his presence, was always different to me. My grandfather was in the air force. Um, my cousin was in the army. So like the support was always there from from the entire family. 
And I don't want to say it was expected, but it was almost like there didn't, there wasn't supposed to be a generational gap. Yeah. And I felt almost an obligation to not let that gap happen. Do you have uh, siblings? Yeah, I have a younger brother. Did he uh, serve or no? No, he didn't go. He, he actually works with me now in the business. Oh, okay. Do you ever bust his balls for not going in? All the time. All the time. But uh, it wasn't it wasn't for him. Yeah. Um, so if you could kind of uh, reduce the experience of seeing seeing your, your dad and, and just that side of your family uh, doing what they did on the farm, is there is there one thing that sticks out that uh, from a, like a, a life lesson standpoint that, that you learned from that? Yes, I'd say like that entire side of the family, especially my dad. It's uh, they're always they were always warning me of if it's if it's too good to be true, you know, don't let it happen or or don't uh don't expect don't expect too much to happen. So I give an example when I launched my company when I told my dad I was starting my company when I told him hey I'm making a million dollars this year he just laughed he said it was it was that easy yeah everyone do it yeah I think because like growing up they saw. To make X, you had to work. Yeah. Y. Like all, there were, you know, 100 hour weeks that they would work just to get a crop done. Yeah. So there was never, hey, I'm making a million dollars. No, it didn't happen. Yeah. So he was always warning me against kind of half measures. Yeah. Uh, did they farm other other crops other than dairy cattle or? Uh, they had soybean, they had corn. So obviously, like weather for them. I remember my grandpa watching the Weather Channel all the time. And if we had bad weather for a season, he was the worst person to be around. Yeah. He still is, even though he doesn't have a farm. <laughs> yeah. Just fucking ingrained. Yeah. Um, did you play any sports uh, growing up? Yeah. So I played, I played baseball, played hockey, um, ran cross country. No wrestling in Pennsylvania. My dad was a big wrestler. Yeah. The thing with sports, though, for me is I was, I was athletic, but I never, like, I never stood out in sports. So my brother was three years younger than me. So by the time I was like a, a junior... He was like a freshman, I believe, and he was a stud athlete. He was he he had opportunities for D one baseball, D one football. He was all state. Um, so as soon as he started playing, I was like, "No, I'm not gonna, I'm not playing anymore." <laughs> so my, my senior year, I, I did nothing. I ran cross country. Yeah, but he was he was a stud. Yeah. What uh, did he go on to to play any of those sports in college? He played uh, collegiate baseball. Yeah. Uh, Longwood University in Virginia. Oh, okay. Um, anything past that or did he just come to work for you after yeah, that? Yeah, he just came to work for me. So he he graduated college. He had a full-time job. He's working for six months. And when I was in Korea, the business was growing. So I hit him up and I said, hey, like, would you be interested in quitting your job, moving to Texas, uh, sustaining the business, but I can't pay you, <laughs> but you can live in my house. So like, we didn't, you know, we couldn't take a dollar from the business for five years after starting it. Yeah. So 2017 was the first dollar we took. Oh, shit. Yeah. What, uh, I mean, in terms of the, the drive behind wanting to do that, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it a little further, but I, it makes me curious, I guess, you know, why that, uh, given your background and, and growing up and whatever, what was it about supplements, nutrition, performance, uh, fitness, generally speaking, that, that really kind of drove you to start a business? Was it because you had a passion for it was it because from a market share standpoint that there was there was a lot of room to 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 take some of that or what uh, what was kind of the, the main factor with that so i was studying nutrition and i was really interested in sports performance in regards to nutrition you know back then it was i was running because of my obligation with the military coming up but i was like i was just in putting on as much size and strength as possible 
bodybuilding, powerlifting. And in college, we, we had no money left. So I'm in the dorms, and me and my buddies would chip in <clears throat> and buy these ingredients in bulk. We'd buy like citrulline, malate, beta-alanine, creatine, caffeine. And we'd all chip in, and we'd buy these ingredients in bulk, and we'd mix them up in my dorm room. So we have this food scale. <laughs> like fucking Breaking Bad fitness version. I, I, my, like, uh, the roommates, like, the people on my floor probably assumed I was selling drugs because yeah. you can imagine you walk in, I have this food scale. Yeah. I got white powder everywhere. Yeah. And uh, people would come to my dorm and I'd give them a little baggie. And it'd be this white powder, which was, which was my homemade pre-workout. That's classic. So I was doing this, and uh, I just loved every part of, like, the supplement space, uh, fitness space, like especially sports performance with dietary supplements. Yeah. And uh, it was between my junior and senior year of college that I had to go to Fort Lewis, Washington for a month of training. And when I got back, I knew I wanted to do something. And it was just like perfect timing where I got back and at the time you could take out what was called the pre-commissioning loan for officers. Take up to $25,000 out with the USAA. You would have to make your first payment for 18 months and uh, super low interest. So all my friends are taking out this $20,000. They're buying engagement rings, new cars, <laughs> going on vacations. Did. I was like, Fine. shit, this is my way to make a, to start a business. Yeah. So I took out this $20,000, found a manufacturer, uh, I mean, I was hooked. I was like completely invested in every part of it at that point. Um, spent all the money on the supplements itself, like the inventory. So I had to do the website by myself, had to do the branding by myself. Looking back, it was just like, I, I sometimes don't know how we got from, from point A to point yeah. B now. But uh, I just loved like creating and I loved having this thing that was mine. Yeah. So was college your first time... Um T- like taking supplements did you did you take creatine and protein powders and shit like that growing up or, or in high school or anything or i remember when i when i was in high school pre-workout was like <clears throat> brand new to the space and um i remember i would go to like the local vitamin shop and i would get like pre-workout and my mom didn't want me taking it at the time so i remember i would hide it and i thought i was taking like drugs or something uh so i would take like pre-workout in high school and stuff growing up and this is when like the Jack 3D was on the market and it was like yeah. no explode. Um, and that's when I really started getting interested in it. And just like, cause I, I like, I like things that create an experience, right? Yeah. So like, that's why I like pre-workouts cause like there's this experience involved with like you, you take the supplement 20 to 30 minutes before, like you get tunnel vision focus. You can feel the caffeine kick in the nootropics. Like I love those feelings mm-hmm. and I think that's what really got me into enjoying the supplement space yeah how did how did you eat growing up were you would you say looking back on it that you ate fairly clean or or what what uh what was your nutrition like as a, as a kid as an example so i don't i don't talk about this much but when i was 14 i had a, a pretty severe eating disorder i don't know what like what kick-started it i don't know where it came from i just remember when i was 14 i just wanted to to lose weight and lose weight and lose weight and it started where I would just like eliminate certain food items. And it got to the point over months where I was eating maybe like 300 calories a day. Jesus. I was just wasting away. Uh, and my body started shutting down. Like organs stop, like stopped like slowing down. Um, I remember one day specifically, I was supposed to go to my baseball game. I was like 14. Couldn't get out of bed because I had no energy. So I'm going to the hospital and like getting these tests and stuff done. And... Um, I remember like the, the one day my mom takes me into this appointment for this eating disorder clinic and they confront me about it. They're like, 
I thought I was just going to another appointment. And they're like, hey, like we know you've been starving yourself. We know what's going on. And I don't know what it was, but something just clicked in my head that day. And I just said, all right, I'm getting, I'm getting better. I'm going to start eating again. So I, I will always remember this day getting back from that appointment. Like, shit, I got to start eating now. And uh, I looked at a box of Pop-Tarts. And I turned around. It was like 400 calories for two Pop-Tarts. I was like, holy shit, this is more than I've been eating in a day. But I was like, I got I to do it. Fucking Pop-Tarts. So I started eating. I mean, like, and I don't mean to joke about it because people have, like, serious problems with unhealthy relations with food. And I did for a while, eating disorders. But there was something that clicked that day where I was like, I need to fucking get better. Yeah. So the Pop-Tarts at, at first, um, what what did you transfer into in terms of how you ate from there? Like, did you did you start to go more clean at least? and Or were you just a typical high school kid fucking garbage in? No, so I would say, like, I, I focused on putting weight back on at first. It was just kind of eating whatever I could. But this transition, like, this was another pivotal point in my life where I then found fitness and training and like learning how to eat right yeah and from there it was like okay well i found nutrition which probably led to me wanting to get a degree in nutrition yeah and learning more about it but my last two years of college or high school were learning how to eat like the right foods learning when to eat these foods how to use these around workouts uh incorporating like whey protein post-workout stuff like that but i was still very uneducated about what i was supposed to doing Especially at the time, like 2009, the information that was available online is so different than what's yeah. available now. True. I'm curious from the, uh, I guess, the eating disorder standpoint, what what did you eat as a young kid? Anything. Anything? Just, just normal. Like I, n- I never had, I was never a picky eater. Um, I we'd have family dinners. I would eat whatever was, when, was being served. Were you a uh, cereal for breakfast kid? I was, I remember... Cereal or a uh, little toaster paste, not Pop Tarts, but that's toaster strudels. Strudels, yeah. All the strudel guy. Yeah. So mostly carbs. Yeah, right? a yeah. lot of carbs. Yeah. Um, now, you know, I'm curious. The there's an element of you know malnutrition. I think at a young age that probably contributes to unhealthy relationships with food uh, as a, as adults. You know, I think so many kids, myself included, growing up on shitty processed carbohydrates as their primary fuel source as they're developing is just fucking terrible oh yeah you know and and, uh, i i wish that that i had known or my parents had known then what kind of i or we collectively know now um you know about eating way more nutrient dense shit growing up and uh you know just I, i can't even imagine the difference but um all right so you you kind of get off the the eating uh, train in terms of it, it being a negative, um, you you get weight back on, you decide at, at what point do you say, I'm joining the fucking military? Was it after college or, or during college, before college? What was your thought process? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry. 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah. Woohoo! Often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So this was in high school still. I was, I was probably 17 years old. Um, and I was going to enlist. Uh, but my, I remember my mom like was very wanted me to go to college. Very much so. So I applied for the Army ROTC scholarship. Applied for the Army ROTC scholarship and the Marine Corps scholarship didn't get the marine corps one so i went army and uh i was awarded that so it was a four-year scholarship so they essentially they paid for my school they paid for you know tuition books um with the obligation of going into the military afterwards yeah so going into freshman year college uh, i went in western pennsylvania indiana university of pennsylvania um i already knew four years later i was going to be going into the army in the Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, no affiliation it's fucking with weird. No affiliation with Indiana <laughs> University. It's in a yeah. town of Indiana. Oh, I got near you. Pittsburgh. Fucking Pennsylvania, I'll tell you what. Um so going through college you you kind of discover your your uh, passion for supplements was was going into the military something that you were still excited about or or did it seem like it was a roadblock to what you ultimately wanted to do? No, I mean I, I quickly realized that the company wasn't where it was going to be and i wanted to go in the military for one i felt an obligation to serve at least four years and i knew i would gain massive experience from from my time in um even though i was, I was committed to growing this business i looked at it as a long-term thing yeah even though in the beginning i said well i want to make a million dollars year one and when I, when I learned that wasn't going to happen i said well i'll take this like this is a long-term approach this is an investment uh, when the time is right, I'll double down on it. But right now, my obligation is yeah. going to Fort Benning, Georgia. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about, um, from a, an ROTC versus academy guy, right? Having been an ROTC guy, what is your take on the on the contrast between the two in terms of the, the product ultimately that is created by <clears throat> ROTC versus academy and how that kind of shakes out? What's your thought process on that? I think, I mean, they're two completely different experiences, right? Which, not to interrupt, but to me, that that's what seems odd, I think, to, to most people, myself included, is that to have, at the end of the day, you know, you've got an officer with the same rank, basically, and, and they're two almost polar opposite fucking processes. Yeah, I've almost seen, like, it produces almost the same exact thing. Um, it's weird. Yeah, and you, you wouldn't think it, but... Looking back and like talking to people that I know that went to the academy, I would have never wanted to go through the academy. I knew I, w- I wanted a regular college experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and like from my friends that went to West Point, same, pretty much same product comes out. Going through an academy, you have a lot more networking and connections. Uh, 
and you know life lifetime of connections afterwards but after your initial schooling for a year you have the same experience yeah so it seems like or it sounds like uh your perspective of the academy network is is like fucking warden or you know big business schools or, or ivy league like it's it's more about who you went through with that from my perspective and like my opinion yeah i think it's one of those things that my buddies that went through west point and they got on the military they had this massive network of people in fortune 500 companies that are also west pointers that they could reach out to and, and grab yeah. grab from fucking bastards <laughs> no good on them good on you ring knocker assholes um all right so if you could walk through kind of your your military career from as you graduate college and go into uh into active duty yes yeah, so in 2013 and graduate from college um and you make me feel old by the way <laughs> this was uh this was may yeah. 2013 by uh i think it was october i was in fort benning georgia for infantry officer basic course then I went directly into Ranger School, then Airborne School, then Bradley Leader Course. So I was in I was in Benning for a year, and then when I left Benning, I went to Fort Hood. And when I got to Fort Hood, my unit that I was assigned to was still in Germany for a rotation. So I had like two months of like troop schools there. Uh, I became the unit movement officer during this time, and then quickly after that, the unit got back from Germany. I got assigned a platoon, and I was a infantry platoon leader for two years luckily so i mean i had a solid group of guys and all the all the things that i've done or i do in business especially like team building stuff or or building that team that organization i've learned directly from like my platoon sergeant my ncos squad leaders uh stuff like the guys i served with yeah so like, i loved being a platoon leader those two years were like my my favorite two years ever and then I just I spent a few months in uh, uh, the operations office, and then transitioned out in 2017. The, the time in, in Korea, what? Uh, how long were you there for? We were there for nine months. And what what was the purpose? Was it like a? I mean, were you actually stationed there, or was it like a a long exercise kind of thing? So Second ID traditionally has always been the unit in, in South Korea. They started pulling some of the guys out of Second ID, and then running rotations through South Korea. Uh, so we were like 13 miles from DMZ and we were there for a nine month rotation to, to train with the South Korean army. Yeah. Um, how was that? Different. Yeah. Different. Uh, how so? I mean, some of their, so, you know, like South Korean army, they have, if you're, I think it's above like 18 years old, you have to serve a mandatory two years in the, in the military. So like some of their, their NCOs, some of their leaders have been in the military for a very short amount of time, but their training was pretty, like pretty subpar compared yeah. to some of the things that we were doing over there with them. Yeah. Um, some like their SOPs some of their tactics were just out there. Yeah. Did you have any, uh, any run-ins with them as far as that goes? Like any cross trainings that just went fucking terribly and, and it was a total shit show? No, I mean the, the biggest problem we had when we were there was the South Korean, population not wanting us to be there oh really so like there'd be like there'd be like riots and stuff going on to kind of it's that bad huh it wasn't that bad but that was like the only thing that we kind of yeah. out of our training facilities what uh do you know what the what the reason why they don't want uh, american forces there 
I mean, some some of it was like our training sites would be around their farms and whatnot. If we were shooting the Bradleys at night, it'd be yeah, it'd be loud, it'd be it'd be a mess. You know, we we had to take our our vehicles on their highways to get to certain training facilities. Beat the shit out of them. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Um, what, what was kind of your biggest takeaway from uh, from your time in Korea? So Korea was was it was a great experience as a as an officer, just being with my my platoon. But those were the most productive nine months of my life in terms of business, because when I got there, I thought I thought I'd be working all the time, and I realized, well, we're just doing the same thing we're doing in the states in South Korea. You know, we'd have PT in the morning, we'd work at, at nine to five. We weren't in training or going to the field. We were pretty much in garrison, but in South Korea. So I told myself, well, I'm not going to listen to, uh, like, or I'm not going to listen. I'm, I'm not going to watch any movies. I'm not going to watch any TV shows. I'm really not going to socialize outside of work. You know, people would be playing video games. They'd be BSing after work, stuff like that. I said, this is my opportunity to grow my business while I'm over there. So I spent every waking moment that was outside of my job in the military to grow my brand. Yeah. So when we got there, we were making $2,000 a month in revenue. And my goal was by the time I left Korea, I wanted to be making $10,000 a month in revenue. And just by going all in while being there, we started making $10,000 a month within... 60 to 90 days of being there. And so were, were you taking the same kind of business model of uh, buying shit in bulk and making your own stuff, or was it was it advanced further? So at that point, we had a manufacturer. So when I launched the business in 2012, I found a contract manufacturer, and they were making the formulas that we wanted based off flavor profiles. And then they would ship it to my parents' house in Pennsylvania. And my brother would be, my brother and dad would ship orders at night and be like, you know, an order a day maybe at that point. So they were helping me operate at that point. And through the process, I mean, we worked with different manufacturers. We we now have two manufacturers, one in Texas, one in California that we have awesome relationships with. But the beginning it was, I'm a new company. I'm trying to find someone who will just work with me to create these products. That doesn't need a $400,000 minimum order. Right. I mean, at the time I think my my minimums were like 500 bottles. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Business is business. I'm mean, pretty much you know manufacturing and products. It's kind of all the same, no matter what uh, industry you're in. But um, I would like to take a second to kind of go back to the Ranger School experience, just from a a standpoint of you know the guys that you went through with. Um, I'm assuming most of them, uh, or at least half of them, were going from there to an actual Ranger Battalion. Did you uh, was there was there a party that wanted to? to do that side and kind of go, go actually be a, a ranger battalion guy, or was it more just you, you appreciated the experience for what it was, took what you could from it and, and applied it to, uh, to where you went back to. Yeah. So when I got, when I got to my unit, I started my packet for ranger bat because as an officer, you can't go until after like four years, uh, you have to do your platoon leader time in a line unit before you can go to a, uh, to battalion. Really? I didn't know that. So I started my packet, and what ended up happening is on Fort Hood, we were under three corps. They had a long-range surveillance unit there, and they had a position for a platoon leader, an infantry platoon leader. And this was like maybe this is right before leaving for South Korea. So they opened up tryouts for the entire Fort Hood. They were just taking one person uh, to be this platoon leader to be in charge of a platoon of a uh, LURS unit. So I went through the whole the whole tryout process which was for a few weeks. And I got the position for this 
uh, this lower platoon leader position. So I assumed that three core would send me over to this Lurse unit and we were slotted for a deployment to Afghanistan. So I didn't think I was going to South Korea at first. I was just waiting for my brigade commander to sign my 4187. And uh, so I start going over to this Lurse unit and start cross training and getting slotted for schools and whatnot. And uh, I find out that my brigade commander won't sign my 4187. What, is that like a transfer form? It's a transfer, yeah, transfer form. So instead of going to this Lurse unit and going on deployment, my brigade commander pulled me back and sent me to South Korea. Um, so out of a little bit of like spite, I was a little pissed off about this. Uh, I ended up uh, doing the paperwork to to transition out of my after my initial contract was up. Yeah. So I was at point two where if I would have stayed in, it would have been I would have got promoted to captain and went to be a company commander. So like it was a point in my life where I had to decide: Do I want to pursue my business and my company that's growing? Or do I want to pursue this career in the military? Because as a, as a lieutenant, I could kind of do both. But as a, as a company commander, I couldn't be doing both. I couldn't be running this business on the side and being a company commander. Yeah. So it was at a point where I had to decide which route do I want to do. Had you been given the opportunity to go to a Ranger Battalion, you would have taken it? Is that? I would have, yes. Yeah. yeah. Is, is there a part of you that regrets not, not going to do that? Yeah, I think like every single day. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's certainly understandable. I mean, to me, like, you know, you're obviously a very fit guy and, and, you know, I've known quite a few Rangers over the years. Um, you know, it seems like a, a pretty good fit, but, uh, yeah, I was curious. Um, I, I know that, you know, there's a lot of guys with the Ranger tab that, that don't end up at battalion that, that are, you know, go the officer route, but no, I was just curious. Yeah, when, I, when I got out, uh, that first like six months after being out, I strongly considered going back in, Yeah, even though. I had the business and the business was growing and you know we had this really good thing but i uh i always like for the first six months i, I debated whether i wanted to go back in or not to, yeah. to to pursue things that i wasn't able to do while i was in yeah um i really wanted a deployment and i really wanted to see where else i could take it uh whether that ranger battalion or or special operations yeah any uh any desire or thoughts of uh going back now at this point or is it you're doing business and that's that's all you're focused on yeah i'm just i'm focused on business now it's yeah. Yeah. full time yeah no, i got it um all right so you're a little bit uh, chapped ass on on not getting to go there you decide to get out and focus on business full time talk about that transition because i know as a fellow uh, veteran slash on you know follow on entrepreneur you know, for, for me, my experience, I mean, that's a dicey transition sometimes, a, a lot of kind of the fear of the unknown. I mean, one of the nice things about the military is that, while yes, it's dangerous and the, the fear of the unknown of what you're going to end up doing, there's no fear of the unknown as it relates to where your paycheck is coming from, you know, making sure that, that you have the health care that you need, that your family is, is squared away, all those types of things. Talk about... Uh, your your transition out and and starting your business kind of from scratch and what that was like so timing was almost it was everything right so i started the business 2012 now after growing it for five years is 2017 we were at a pretty good spot where i could transition out and i could live off the money that, that the business was making so at the time the business was supporting me my brother and one other employee that we had <clears throat> And we were all living in, in this house that I had in Temple, Texas. 
It was like 1,100 square feet. Uh, the garage was full of supplements. The bedrooms were full of supplements. Everyone sleeping on air mattresses. <laughs> and uh, we decided, all right, we need to sign a lease for a warehouse. So we signed this lease for this warehouse in Round Rock, Texas. And that was a big move because that was now this massive monthly expense, 6,000 square foot warehouse yeah. that we had to account for. And at the time when I signed that lease, uh, I could not afford that. It was like this massive risk that I was taking. But I knew, I knew we needed the space. We had to step it up. And um, 2017, the best way to describe it was every day we woke up was like a kid on Christmas. Yeah. Like even though we weren't, we weren't killing it, we thought we were killing it at the time. We yeah. thought we were slaying. Um, but like every day was new, running into new problems, new growth. We were building this warehouse. I was still transitioning out of the military. So like I wasn't sleeping at all. Uh, we were creating content and growing these social media platforms and kind of showing people the behind the scenes of it. So when I finally did transition out of the military, which is a funny story, the, the day I transitioned down, I was like, all right, here's, here's the time where I'm going all in. I'm dedicating all my time to this business. I had my DD-214 in hand. And literally as I'm getting in my car after getting this DD-214, my accountant calls me. He says, hey, this is what you owe for taxes this year. I was like, fuck, this is... <laughs> This said, is, wait what this is what Shit, i didn't know i made that much <laughs> this is what being a business owner is all about so yeah but 2017 was just like this pivotal point in our in our business where we did our first seven figures that year and we were growing scale on this brand but every day was was new every day was different so i guess i'm you know hearing that i it, it's neat to you know, to hear that you, you had built it on active duty enough to where you could kind of slide right out, but you still had, you know, some of those same challenges. One of the excerpts of the book that I wanted to read that, uh, I found both humorous and, com and completely <coughs> fitting was uh, a day in the life of an entrepreneur early on, uh, 6 AM on top of the world, a million dollars. Here I come 9 AM. Hold on. What, what bills do? I'm not going to make it. Uh, at noon, sales are great today. Let's do this. 3 p.m., I feel like I'm losing everything. We're running out of money. 6 p.m., I've developed a solution to hit record-baking sales this quarter. 9 p.m., I need serious help if I'm ever going to grow this thing. 11 p.m., I love this shit. Uh, you know, to me, it's like that's a perfect representation of what it's like trying to grow a business. And, and you know, I'm assuming even today while... It sounds like you have a whole hell of a lot more breathing room. There's still elements of that uh, that take place. I know for me, kind of similarly, you know, I've been doing my own thing now for 11 years. Um, you know, in that first several years was was tough. You know, I mean, it was putting shit on credit cards and, and trying to borrow money from friends. And, you know, it was just nobody really believed that you could do any of the things that you were trying to do. And and, uh, and a lot of the people that... that uh, you for sure find out who who your real friends and, and family and supporters are uh, at those times. That, that's for goddamn sure. But you know, I know looking back on it from where where I started to where I came, or from where I came to where I am now, rather, a lot of the things I that I read about in your book are are very similar, which I want to kind of dive into here a little bit. But uh, does does that mentality still persist uh, for you today, or do you feel pretty comfortable? I feel. I feel pretty comfortable. I feel more comfortable. There's as we as we grow, as we scale, there's always problems, right? But I mean, I remember like 2017 will be a year that I always remember because it was a complete roller coaster. 
And, and that was a year that we grew 750% in one year. Hmm. So the issue we hit was inventory and cash flow. Because we were self-funded, what happened was we, we grew this audience, we grew this community, and we didn't have terms with our manufacturers at the time. Yeah. So when I put something into production, it was a 12-week lead time, I put 50% down, and then when it was done being produced and shipped, I paid the rest of it off. So I would pay all the inventory off before we got it. Yeah. So what happened is we would get it, we'd sell out of it in like a week, and then now I have 12 more weeks where I'm not selling anything. Yeah. So I remember looking at the bank account early early days where like, even though our sales were great, the manufacturers had all of our money yeah. tied up. And I'm just thinking like, I remember laying in bed at night thinking, I don't know how we're doing this. Yeah. I don't know how it's gonna work. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, one of the things you talk about is being uh, is going all in, right? It's one of the chapters of your book that, to me, like that mentality is really what separates people that make it and people that don't. You know, uh, everybody's going to run into problems. Everybody's going to be discouraged, but it's it's the people that uh, that just continue to put one foot in front of the other and, and figure out a way around it. You know, it's that that lack of uh, of safety net. Um, what advice would you give somebody, you know, not necessarily in, in your industry or space, but just looking to do the same things? If you could, if you can kind of reduce it, which you do to a certain extent in your book, but even, you know, as technology advances with specifically social media and the internet, uh, you know, it, it makes a, a book that's even a year old, almost archaic in some ways. What would you tell somebody in terms of here, here are the, the kind of handful of keys to success for making a business uh, successful uh, in today's day and age? I'd say for one, like you, you have to be truly passionate about what you're doing. I think people, people DM me sometimes and they say, hey, I, hey, Nick, I see what you've built. I wanna create a business. What business should I create? Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I don't, who am I to tell you what Baby business Baby wipes, fuck yeah. off. <laughs> like, so you have to be truly passionate about what you're doing or you're, you're not gonna wanna go all in. You're not gonna wanna do it. It's like being truly passionate about what that is. Not it's not. I want to be an entrepreneur. What what is it I want to do? I think you're going to find what you want to do first, and then decide right, let's monetize this. Yeah. Two is having that vision. Like in the beginning, I didn't have the vision at all. I knew I wanted to start this business, but if if someone were to ask me like, who's your audience? Well, everyone. Everyone's my audience. And like if if the business owner doesn't understand what the vision is, then the team doesn't understand what the vision is, and then the customers don't know. So I think having like a very strong vision and story behind everything you do connects with people it makes it it's it's a selling point yeah and then i think one of my biggest issues with with my story that i talk about or the book is people always want the shortcut like you can tell people an entire story you can give people like these are the things you have to do but they, they still want like that pill they can take that's well how, how do i get from point a to point b and skip everything in the middle yeah like the time and i've done some speaking engagement re like recently and talking to people uh, about starting businesses and a lot of people want to quit their nine to five and go directly into being a business owner where they have like a family to support they have kids to support and it's like there's that gap where you think it's going to be an inch big yeah. is probably a mile big yeah of the things that you have to learn and accomplish in between well and to me there, there's so many things that pop up that uh that you weren't expecting you know it's, it's really no different than like a concept of operations in the military is that you know you've got all these contingency plans but rest the fuck assured, something's going to come up that you weren't planning for. You know, and to me, business is so much that way where, you know, to me, it kind of boils down to, uh, at least from my my perspective, is is the parallels between society and business owners is very apt in that, 
there's really two types of people. There are victims and there are not victims, you know, and, and the people that, that choose to be a victim. And I, and I do think it's a choice and that, you know, if you focus on the bad shit that happened to you or the problem that you just ran into and, and you're just feeling sorry for yourself and spending the energy that you could utilize actually, you know, figuring out a solution to that problem. You're, you're using that energy to, to bitch about it, to complain to your friends or your family or your spouse or whatever. Uh, and, and to, and to think of reasons why that's going to keep you from doing what you want to do, you're never going to fucking make it. And, and from, from my experience, it seems like, unfortunately, most people fall into that fucking category where, you know, everything is, is woe is me and this happened to me and why well, can't because of this. And it's like, motherfucker, you know, you have one or two options. You can bitch about it or you can figure out a way around it, you know? And, and to me, like if I had to reduce it to one fucking thing, it, it's that, but I, you know, I'm curious to do, do the people that solicit advice from you to this point, and similarly to me, like I, I loved reading the the Googling quote uh, about wasting your time because similarly, like 90% of the questions I get asked, I'm like, are you a subscriber to the online training? No, well, fuck off and subscribe first and then you can ask the question, you know, but or if it's something they could have found in Google in two, in two seconds, do that. But has anybody that solicited advice from you that you've actually taken the time to help out, has it actually helped anybody? Like has anybody followed up and said, you know, the advice that you gave I started my own business and here I am with it. Oh yeah. I mean, one of the things that always reinforces like why I keep doing this stuff is we'll hold live events. For a clear example, last month in February, we held an event called the run one more challenge where we all did the Austin marathon and we invited people to join us and we had the biggest team at the Austin marathon and we held an event at our warehouse the day before. And when you can connect with those people in person saying like, hey, I, I took your advice, I read your book, uh, I watched your YouTube videos, and it's done this for my life. I went from here to there. That con constantly reinforces, okay, things we're doing, they're valuable and they're changing lives. So this is why we need to keep doing this and more of this. Yeah. So getting that like in person, especially feedback is it's yeah. amazing. So quite a few then. There's, yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah. What uh, What is your take, I guess, now then on on where you're at obviously the business from a supplement standpoint is is doing well uh, not that it's running running itself but has has business mentorship or you know creating a a side of of business where you advise people is that something that's crossed your mind it is but right now i don't have the time to dedicate to it yeah so i've i've considered taking on some clients especially in the supplement space yeah <clears throat> um even though it's kind of direct competition well, it would have to be a completely different niche. It's yeah. like, it would have to be like, um, you know, like maybe a woman's brand or like a, a vegan brand or something, nothing that would directly compete with me. Yeah. Um, but I would consult with other businesses just like right now, I don't have the time allocated for it. Yeah. And for what my time would be worth it, it'd have to be, you know, yeah. that'd be worth it to me. Yeah. But right now I, I don't want to, because we're in like, a, we're still scaling a lot. We're growing a lot. I don't want to take time away from my team in the business to outsource for my personal gain. Yeah. Is the, uh, is the end goal if, if you care to share it to, to have a GNC or whoever fucking buy you out? Is that, is that kind of your goal or I think, it, I mean, it's hard to say right now in the beginning when I first started, it was like, yeah, I want to grow this company, scale it and sell it. But I'm so invested into the people. It's not, it's not just the brand. It's like the people involved in it, like yeah. our personal team, the customers 
that I, at this point I can't imagine letting it go. At some point that will that will change based off of where my <clears throat> life changes. Yeah. Um, but I'm so in it right now that it's hard to say where that's going to be or when that's going to be. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. If you're short on time, one question I guess I have is um, like training for a fucking marathon is no no joke. I mean to do it right. Um, that's got to take up a significant amount of your time. I am curious as to the why. I mean, is is it just a straight, I want to challenge myself and this is a goal I've set and I'm going to fucking see my way through it? Or Because to me, like that's one of the things that you say in your book that I, I couldn't agree more with is, is time being your most valuable commodity. Uh, I say this all the time. Like people say time is money. Fuck, no, it isn't. You know, time is way more valuable than money because you can't make any more of it. You right. can't, can't give it away. You can't save any of it. Um, you can't multiply it. So to me, spending that amount of time doing something, is, is there more to it than, than just the, the challenge and the goal? Or, or how, how do you kind of leverage that? No, absolutely. I mean, I did, I did an Ironman in November, mm-hmm. and that amount of training was twice as much as marathon prep is. But the, the way I do all my business stuff is, I mean, it's, it's partly it's, it's to challenge myself to personally grow, but it's also a strategic business move because all these things are vertically aligned. So like when I say vertical alignment, like we have our YouTube content, uh, we have our other social media platform content, we have the supplements, we have the training platform. So like if I'm training and documenting my process for uh, an Ironman, it's you're, you're pulling multiple things from you. You have education from like a training and nutrition standpoint. We have motivational and inspirational content from it. And then we're, we're growing the community online, which then funnels back into the companies. Yeah. So all these things are vertically aligned. So yeah, like a lot of it is I want to push myself further and further and further. But then there's it's vertically aligned and it grows the business. And I see the impact that it has on our community. Yeah. We're now like people that never ever thought about running are signing up for half marathons and full marathons. Yeah. That's cool. What um I guess with that is is the the brand and, and the products that you have in this documentation process. Are those an integral part where you say, hey, I, I did this training and, and I take these supplements? Like, do you kind of outline that in the weeds as the stuff that you take and what it does for you in training for this as, as part of the plug? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we, we plug it very organic and naturally. And we work the same way with our athletes and ambassadors that we sign on where it's never like, hey, you need to push this product X amount of times a month. So, like, we use our social media platforms um, all of our media to be as transparent and behind the scenes as possible. So like, for example, maybe a video is us in the morning, I'm training and using some of the supplements that, that we sell. But then in the afternoon we're driving up to Allen, Texas and we're at the manufacturing facility and we're showing all the testing procedures that go on behind the scenes, how we run our products, how we manufacture our products. And then like, you know, we, we just got a, a third party certification that we're BSCG banned substance free certified. So like we use social media to take everyone that's following us behind the scenes of what it takes to, to build a business, to train in fitness and nutrition, and then the behind the scenes of a supplement company. Yeah. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people real encounters so come with us on the journey into the unknown ufo chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps
I'll see you soon. So speaking of supplements, uh, how many different products do you guys have right now? So we have like 10 right now. Uh, we're working on a carbohydrate and electrolyte formula right now, which will probably launch in like five weeks. Like as a recovery drink? Well, it's meant to be used. So a lot of the products we produce are because we actually want to make it ourselves or use it ourselves. So when I was training for Ironman, I needed a carb and electrolyte powder from the bike because I had to consume like 60 grams of carbs and 1,000 milligrams of sodium per hour. And to do that, you need some sort of supplement. Yeah. So the ones I was using were killing my stomach. So I said, hey, we can, we can do better than this. So then we, we put together a formula with cluster dextrin, which is our carb source, and then a full electrolyte panel supplying 350 milligrams of sodium. So like it can be used pre-run. It can be used on a bike during training, depending on how long your session is. So like all the supplements we use and or have produced came about because it's like, hey, we need a supplement for X. Yeah. Have you personally uh, messed around with either keto or carnivore or paleo and any of the lower carb types of stuff? <coughs> No, so I follow a moderate carb diet. It's not low by any means, um, but I do. I would say forty percent carbs, twenty five protein, thirty five percent fat. I like I like higher fat diets. Yeah, uh, I'm curious in, in the space, <clears throat> whether it's influencers, or whatever. Do you know of anybody that has tried you know heavy keto or carnivore or you know almost no carb type of diets for any of the runners and the Ironmans and any, any of your athletes that you work with? <laughs> I know the keto space is becoming more popular in endurance athletes. Yeah. Because the 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 intent behind it and I didn't personally try it myself. The kerosene method. Yeah, the, the intent behind it is your body becomes more optimized to use fat as a fuel source rather than carbohydrates. Yeah. Um so I know a lot of people in the endurance space, especially Ironman well, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's what I mean by the kerosene is that, you know, gas or, you know, the more flammable it is, it's like carbohydrates or it's kerosene or even animal fat burns low and, and slow. To me, like the, the logic and reason behind it makes sense, but there has to be an element of, you know, just like with, with everybody, you know, the kind of the epigenetics component of it combined with straight genetics is that there's an element of different strokes for different folks you've never really personally messed with that at, at all or no i mean I'm a, I'm a massive advocate of everyone requires different fuel sources yeah where one person might be optimized on a high fat low carb diet yeah it's the shoe doesn't fit the same for everyone sure in terms of uh of your product specifically i guess can you talk about a couple of the uh, the most popular ones or i mean you don't have to necessarily go through all 10 of them but just talk about a few of them that, uh, that you've had a lot of success with and, w and what they are yeah so our best selling product by far we sell probably six to seven thousand bottles of it a month is our uh strong greens superfood green supplement so we created this a few years ago with the intent of it, because at the time we were strictly like selling like the bodybuilding powerlifting community, and we wanted to create a, a green supplement um, as almost like an add-on that we, we were like some of these people might take it. Like we want to personally use it, so we're going to produce it, and that quickly turned into our, like our best-selling product yeah. for like increased natural energy, improved digestion, um, boosted immune, just overall better well feeling, feeling. So like our our Healthline series now dominates the line pretty much we have a strong green strong reds strong multivitamins strong joints um after that our pre-workout flight is our, our number two 
and then our whey protein just because our, our flavors for our protein are our, our next level goddamn cotton candy or what we got a blueberry muffin we got a chocolate <laughs> peanut butter fruity cereal did you bring any of that shit with you i'll send you some all right you'll love it um I, i'm curious i guess the for like just because I, I don't know shit about the manufacturing process as it relates to to supplements but I can only assume that trying to get into a space where, <clears throat> at least from my knowledge base, which admittedly is limited, but it seems like there's a handful of big manufacturers that make most of everything, like there is in most industries. How how did you go about kind of making your own and, and being able to get people to make things for you that, that they're not already making, and, and how, do, how you're testing them and, and ensuring that they work properly and it's not placebo and, and all that? Because I know for me... And I think a lot of people, you know, you, you walk into a GNC, for example, and there's just so much shit in there. Like, one, you don't know what to choose from. But two, you know, a lot of it is, is fucking garbage. Uh, so, you know, in a, in a space where I think there's some consumer leeriness, uh, you know, as it relates to the efficacy of the product, uh, those two things, like how, how have you managed to, to grow your own brand and, and own formulas with, and compete with these bigger, bigger companies? Yes, I mean, one of the reasons we, we stick with direct consumer and don't go a lot of retail stuff is because our formulas are more expensive than a lot of competitors. So for in order for us to get into, like, say, GNC or vitamin shop or, or retail, our profit margins would be a lot lower because of the price point they want to buy and sell at. Um, so that's why we continuously stayed just direct to consumer. But when I first started, like, to find a manufacturer... I had to find someone that had low minimums, had no terms, and was willing to take me on. And as we slowly started to grow, it was now manufacturers are reaching out to me trying to get my business. So there's probably every day that a new manufacturer reach out, reaches out yeah. and is trying to get our business because our volume has increased. Yeah. So <clears throat> we first got connected with one of the companies I still work with when I was in South Korea. They reached out and we started the conversation and they're actually based out of uh, Allen, Texas. Hmm right outside of Dallas and they do all of our uh, performance line and then all of our health line series gets made in, in California, but they reached out to us as well. So as you grow, you get these, these better and bigger manufacturers to establish relationships with you. Now the manufacturing process, it's the supplement industry gets a bad rep because there are bad manufacturers or bad companies, but like it is actually a very heavily tested process. Um, so like, for example, when our manufacturer sources ingredients, they'll bring these raw ingredients in and they'll, they'll quarantine those ingredients until those ingredients are tested for pure, like purity and accuracy. They'll take a fingerprint of that ingredient. So like if I get a batch of, you know, 20 kilograms of caffeine in, we're going to test that caffeine to make sure it's, it's caffeine, the, the purity that we, we think it is yeah. before we, we actually use it. Are any of the ingredients uh, with the coronavirus fucking outrage here lately? Are, are any of are any of the ingredients of your products coming from China? There's a, a lot of uh, our manufacturing isn't done in China, but there are single source ingredients that are sourced from overseas. Yeah. So the coronavirus hasn't hit our distribution uh, model yet or manufacturing like timelines yet. Yeah. But it, it possibly could in the future. Yeah. Because they'll they'll limit the imports. One of the things that I've, I've seen, uh, in particular, T Tucker Carlson's done a couple of, uh, you know, pretty astute 
opening monologues on his show here recently about uh, the dependence on China and, and trying to bring manufacturing at least the necessities you know in in cases like this where if all of a sudden you you know not not on your own accord become an isolationist country like are you going to are you going to be choked off and do they have you by the balls the way China basically does now do you think it's even possible uh, for you know companies such as yours or, or really any any in the space to be able to, to get rid of China completely in, in any reasonable amount of time, or is that unrealistic? I think that's, depending on the ingredient, it's unrealistic. Because okay. even like the, the big uh, ingredient suppliers that are based in the U.S., they still get a lot of their stuff manufactured overseas. So even like they're, they might have this ingredient that's, that's trademarked, that's run through clinical studies, and their headquarters is in the States, but the, the single ingredient source is still being made overseas and brought into the u.s does that worry you at all for for distribution models yeah with the whole coronavirus thing yeah and just generally speaking i mean because the 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 state-run um news outlet in china actually said that you know basically keep fucking around and and we're just gonna not not import all of these you know it, they were talking specifically to antibiotics and surgical equipment and stuff many of which are only made there like the the only place that the united states gets like 95 percent of the fucking active ingredients in in our in most of our prescription medications come from china whereas if they're like fuck you guys we're not sending you anymore like a fuck ton of people would be screwed like millions of people would probably die here if they did that uh, and to me like from a national security standpoint that's a huge deal but even again from a business standpoint like if you wake up tomorrow and China says we're not exporting anything to America anymore, does that fucking put you out of business? It would scare me. I mean, yeah. we'd, we'd probably have to re possibly reformulate some products or yeah. find another supplier. Yeah. But then that also affects your costs. Sure. So yeah. I mean, it's like I would love to be able to control and have my own manufacturing, own ingredient supplying of everything. Yeah. But it's it's not possible. Yeah. I mean, that's tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of, of fucking investment. Right. So, I mean, that's why we, we contract manufacturer yeah. two contract manufacturers. And then, um, you know, we go to the manufacturing facilities a lot because we want to show the behind the scenes. Yeah. And something we recently did is we put all of our products through the BSCG banned substance free certification. So now, you know, if, if you're an NCAA athlete, professional athlete, CrossFit, UFC, military, you know that you can take these products and they're banned substance free. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, real quick, just off the top of my head, what what is your thought on like performance enhancing drugs across the board? I mean, not and not just specific to say anabolics, but like SARMs and peptides and shit like that. What what is your personal take on all of that stuff? I think a lot of it's dangerous. Uh, I mean, I think I think the only like good way if you're going to be using some sort of PEDs whether that's for hormone replacement therapy or whatnot is through a doctor just because like man like you don't know a lot of times where that's being sourced from china yeah but like like for example our, our manufacturer won't make they don't they won't make sarms yeah they can't because they're nsf certified so like if, if you're using a manufacturer that is producing and, and making these kind of things well what other steps are they skipping out on yeah and, and what is the source of that and who knows what it's going to do to you well, and I guess, you know, there's quite a bit more research on uh, anabolics than there is on SARMs. I mean, there's decades of use and 
and it seems pretty pretty largely understood what the risks are and, and what the benefits are, et cetera, and, and what outweighs what. Um, I am curious. I mean, I, I don't know a ton about SARMs, um, but they seem pretty popular, and I, and I know a handful of guys that, that uh, you know, have tried them. I, I have never, never messed with them. I similarly, like, to me, there's just not enough, there's just not enough, uh, literature or, or experience with them for me to even even risk it but uh, what, what's your take on them specifically i guess i think it's a it's a cheap alternative that promises too much um something i personally wouldn't trust and would never recommend anyone take i think like there's a time and place for certain certain things like with i think the whole anabolic space gets a lot of bad rep because you look at a, a bodybuilder who's arms are exploding and you say well that's what steroids do but then you look at someone who's on hormone replacement therapy and it's completely changed their life because it's monitored and and prescribed well that's changed their life because they feel a million times better yeah so so you, you can't just take like this cup and say this cup applies to everyone the same way it's how you use that cup yeah and I, to me i think too there's there's a, a heavy distinction between hormone replacement therapy and anabolic steroid use you know i mean to me at least the way i kind of vision it uh, or imagine it rather is is that you know testosterone and, and estrogen hgh you know things that are naturally made in the body that that you're supplementing because they're low to me like that makes sense right now when it comes to you know all of the other uh, anabolics the winstrols the anivars the um i can't even think of them there's i mean there's a ton of them out there that that are not i mean like they're made for fucking beefing up cattle before they're slaughtered and like all these other things that they're not even for humans that people are taking like to me that like that seems like a pretty easy line to draw in terms of you know what's probably all right and and man manageable versus a, a fucking bad idea would, would you agree with that or do you see it different no i would agree i think that there's an easy line to be drawn between those yeah but i think like anything else if you if you abuse it and don't understand how to use it properly yeah it's gonna end up messy yeah for the average Joe listener out there that's listening, that's still listening, the, the nine people that are still listening to this podcast, uh, what what would your, if they came to you and said, you know, hey, I'm in fucking terrible shape, I don't even know where to start, what do I do? I would probably start with, and here's, here's where the problem I think a lot of times what does happen with most people is someone's looking for help to get in shape. And the first thing they want to do is they say, where's my meal plan? What, what meal plan should I hop on and how should I train? And most people will want to completely flip over the way they're currently eating. Say you're going to eat this at 7 a.m., this at 9 a.m., this at 12, this at 2. And you take someone who's being untrained with poor nutrition and putting them on the most strict program ever. They will say, fuck, I don't want to do this anymore. So I think you, you identify, it's a case-by-case basis, but you identify what someone's currently doing and making small modifications to their diet and then refining that and refining that and just teaching them how to properly eat uh, and train and, and build up a small program with you know some strength training, some hypertrophy, some cardio. But I think you start small, you start making small modifications and you turn it into a these lifestyle habits rather than completely flipping over their life yeah. and, and overwhelming the person. Is that something that you guys do also, like uh, bringing clients on for training or, or is it? It's something we're launching this summer. Uh, so we're launching a subscription-based fitness platform. Yeah. Uh, my buddy who's in 10th group is coming down to run that. And um, 
that will be the opportunity for people to get it's a subscription-based you know training but they can also reach out to us and we can answer any of their questions yeah because we want to be able to provide the the product the training the nutrition the motivation like all of it in-house yeah oh that's cool and that's the summer you're launching that this summer yeah that's good shit. Um, do you have any uh, any perspective on in terms of the outside of the supplement space in terms of what you eat? How particular are you uh, as it relates to organic, grass fed? You know where you're sourcing your your food from. How how big of a role does that play? I'm always quality over quantity because it used to be where, you know, in college it was I would track everything. I would have to hit my calories and my macros to a T every time. And it's when flexible dieting, the whole if it fits your macros, was very popular. So just eat whatever you want as long as it fits in. Well, I think society is a, has a massive impact on this, but also just learning through the process where now it's, I'd rather choose these quality food sources and then think about quantity afterwards. So I'm massive on, on grass-fed beef, organic eggs, um, as high quality as possible. And that's why I like the Austin area is because there's a lot of farm to table restaurants. Yeah. So you can go to a restaurant and you know, like where they'll tell you what farm it's been sourced from. Yeah. And you know, you're getting quality stuff, especially meats. Sure. Do you, uh, do much with, uh, with organ meats and, and stuff like that? I haven't yet. No. Yeah. Uh, what about in terms of supplements or, or any thought processes on bringing that into your line? Like, uh, food supplement stuff like that like uh, you know there's that ancestral supplements uh, place that has pretty much every fucking organ you can imagine uh, but so- something like that is that something you guys have considered not a, not at the current spot we're in it wouldn't be like one brand but maybe as the brand evolves and develops mm-hmm. like who knows where it's going to go like when i first started it was just pre-workouts amino acids now we're getting more into the health line because you see the industry evolve your company has to evolve as well. Yeah. So I think 10 years ago, people didn't take their health as serious as they are now. Mm-hmm. Maybe they wanted to train and they wanted to eat better, but now everyone's looking, you know, more people than none now are looking, uh, grass fed meats yeah. than they ever were before. I think it's just the trends that society's moving in. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's one of those things that just makes fucking sense. You know, like if, if the animals you're eating, I mean, no different than us, if you eat shit, you're going to be unhealthy. Well, if the animals that you're eating are eating shit, then you're eating unhealthy animals. That, in turn, is going to make you unhealthy. Like that, that doesn't seem like that big of a stretch, yet it seems like it still is, is largely lost on a lot of the population. I mean, it, it's, it's for sure gaining momentum, and, and I think people are becoming more and more aware of, of uh, how important that is. But, uh, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm baffled at, at the disconnect, you know, that, that people have between... The, the types of food that they eat and, and the impact that it has on their uh, on their overall health. So we talked a little bit about, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm in fucking terrible shape, what do I do? You covered the eating portion. In terms of the physical fitness aspect, do you kind of view that the same way where it's, you know, don't throw them into a CrossFit gym and fucking, you know, overwhelm them? Do you, do you start out small? And if so, what does that look like on, on the fitness side? I think a lot of it's finding out well, how do you how do you enjoy training? Like, what is it you like? If someone doesn't like running at all, I'm not gonna go make them run, you know, five miles. So it's finding like what it is about fitness or moving, just moving in general that they like, and then start implementing more of that and experiment with other types of training and fitness to see what they might like. Yeah, but I think it's building a plan off of what you're what you're doing because I think a lot of people we talk cardio, 
And you, you, a lot of people think cardio, they're hopping on a treadmill, they're hopping on a Stairmaster for 45 minutes in a sweatshirt and just sweating it out. Well, no, that can be like a low zone two hike. That could be like uh, swimming. That can be all these different things. But I think sometimes in, in regards to fitness, people have this perception of what it is that fitness is. But you can diversify that so much. Yeah. In terms of, um, I guess, the the way that you go about your own life and following that, what what does that look like? So if, you know, if somebody said, hey, tell me, tell me what your... Um, your schedule looks like in terms of, of training and what you eat and how you're working out. I know like right now it's pretty heavy with, with Boston, but, or with, with trying to qualify for Boston, but, um, you know, what, what does, you know, your workout regimen typically look like if there even is one? Yes. I mean, and, and eating for that matter. So like nutrition wise, I don't track anything. Nothing's tracked, but I focus on like a few things like in the morning. Um, I don't do heavy carbs. Morning is always just high protein and something very nutrient dense. Like I'll do my greens, reds, multivitamin supplements. What is in the reds real quick? Uh, it's like berry extracts. Okay. There's a, it's an ingredient called spectra, which is really good for blood flow, digestive enzymes. Um, so yeah, if people aren't taking like those supplements, I always recommend like some sort of nutrient dense something, whether that's berries, nuts, um, do like a juice. Like if you're, if you're traveling, get like a, a freshly uh, juice, squeeze juice. It's like protein and nutrients in the morning is what I like. And then my lunch is typically prepped because it's just convenient for me, which is like uh, some sort of carb source, like rice, potatoes, beef, chicken. Um, and then I'll do like a, a protein shake with some, some good carbs before my workout being maybe like uh, oats, fruit, some sort of grain. And then uh, like post-workout is like my biggest meal of the day. So I, I hold a lot of my calories for at night, but it's whatever me and my fiance are, are making. So like we'll do a lot of uh, red meats on the Traeger. Uh, we'll do a lot of sweet potatoes, uh, a lot of like kale salads. We, we always try to focus on like very nutrient-dense food items. Does she eat similarly to you? Pretty spot on, yeah. yeah. But like the focus is always... I'm always thinking, like, I, always, I look at food as, like, nutrients, right? So I'm looking, how much protein is in this meal? How many fats are in this meal? And how many, like, nutrients, vitamins, minerals am I getting from this? And you start doing this. You start making these lifestyle changes. I think the average person that's eating, like, crap, they can eat, like, crap all the time. They feel the same. They always feel like crap. They don't know it. They're not aware of what good feeling, like, feels like. You start eating better, and you become very aware with your body. It's like you, you eat something like crappy, you feel like shit. But like if I'm eating like a very high quality steak at night with some good potatoes, I'm feeling really like satisfied, really good. Yeah. So like I'm always focused on quality of those food sources because I know what good feels like now. Yeah. How I'm assuming you're adjusting that also to your to your output workout wise because one of the things I'm curious of, I mean, from a training standpoint, <coughs> training for a marathon is very different than say, you know, going to a CrossFit gym or, you know, focusing on lifting and, and, you know, whether it's powerlifting or just regular bodybuilding or whatever, how, how much, uh, has crossed over, uh, in terms of your nutrition changing, um, whether it's more carbs or whatever, uh, is, is being influenced by changing and, and doing so much more running now. Yeah. So my diet really changes on a daily basis, depending on what the training session is that day. 
So if I have a 20 mile run for the day, my diet is going to be very different as opposed to what it would be if I was not running at all and I was just lifting. So like days where I'm high calorie expenditure, high energy expenditure, my carbs are going up. My pre-workout meals are changing a little bit. I'll try to get uh, less fat, more carbs in in the morning mm-hmm. and then get more fat in it at night. Um, but it's really like I, I'll know what I'm training that day and I'll adjust my diet to meet the requ- the energy needs for that workout okay. or the recovery. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. And, and so on the on the working out, I mean, how much are you still doing much lifting, or is it mostly just running? Or it's mostly running right now. I'm doing I'm doing a lot of body weight stuff right now. Reason being is, you know, I'm I'm 195 pounds, and I'm trying to run a sub three hour marathon. And my goal now is I I have to lose weight. I have to lose some weight and to lose some more weight i mean i built my my size over 10 years yeah so like last year this time i was 30 35 pounds heavier and I, I naturally hold a lot of mass up top so running as i get deeper into these higher mileage runs that mass up top starts to really affect me sure so now i'm trying to reduce some of this mass so it's i'm not really weight training right now but it's a lot of calisthenics push-ups pull-ups core training hanging leg raises ghd sit-ups um and i'm doing that probably five days a week, mm-hmm. but the focus is 100% running because the goal was to qualify for Boston. After I qualify for Boston, I'll have a more balanced style of training. Yeah. But the goal right now specifically is I have to run sub three hours. Yeah. How, how do you feel being 35 pounds lighter? Oh, I feel great. Like, do you feel, are you at a weight where you're like, fuck, I don't know if I want to go back to weigh in. I don't think I, I don't, I don't want to go up to 225 ever again. I might get up, you know, 205, have more balanced style, mm-hmm. but like my natural energy, uh, my joints, my body, like it feels better all the time. Yeah. I feel like I, I feel healthier. I look healthier as opposed to when I was, you know, when I was trying to get as big, as strong as possible, because in 2000 and 16 2017 i hit a 700 pound deadlift wow and i was i was 225 230 pounds in but my diet like reflected that i was eating whatever calories i could get in yeah were you doing any any type of i hate to use the word cardio but any type of you know high high uh heart rate type of training at all no i mean when, when i got out of the military i said i would never run again so i was <laughs> no, like okay. it's, it's, yeah i was like it's time to get big yeah so the goal was to get as big as strong as possible so it was no cardio. It was it was eating as much as possible to fuel that size and strength. Yeah, and I got stronger. What was your body fat percentage at then when you were at your heaviest? Man, maybe eighteen. And what is it now? Do you do you, have, do you keep track? It's probably nine to ten. Yeah, I mean, so it it seems like you know, as with everything, balance is kind of the key. But uh, it sounds like you're in a better spot now, having spent as much time as you have running. I don't don't typically run. I do a lot of walking. I do a lot of, uh, you know, hiking or, uh, bike riding or rowing or, I mean, pretty much everything except fucking running. I just, I hate running, but uh, I think with any kind of cardio, I think, and this is the biggest mistake I made in the beginning is when most people think of a run, they think, okay, how much time do I have to run or how far do I have to go? And if you tell someone to go run five miles, they're going to run that five miles as hard as possible and it's going to suck. But building an aerobic base, like rowing or hiking or, or walking that's low zone two heart rate stuff that's how you build like a really solid foundation of of an aerobic base and the beginning that's why i skipped down on yeah i think a lot of people skip out on that and they try to get faster but they can't because they don't have that base built yeah is that something that um 
that you you mentioned heart rate training is that something that you do now uh do you do you keep track of your heart rate and and during your runs and is that something that, that fuels or, or drives your training process it was during iron man uh a lot of my training now because we have a certain time to run it in a lot of it's based off pace so i'm trying to hurt hold certain paces unless it's just to go do an aerobic base building run yeah so like 80 percent of my runs are like aerobic base building where it's a low pretty easy zone two low heart rate run just to build that foundation and you build on that foundation with some higher heart rate interval training but that that was one of the biggest mistakes i made when i first started endurance training is i didn't understand heart rate training and how important it can be or how massive an impact it can make on your success. Yeah. How long have you been uh, training more on the, the aerobic side? Last May is when I started training for the Ironman. And when did you run that? November. So I, I trained for like six months. Where, well, which one did you do? Panama City, Florida. So my, my goal was to finish between 12 and 13 hours. I did 11.28. Oh, wow. So I was, I was happy with my time, especially when I mean, first triathlon. Yeah. I remember I, I walked into the bike shop locally. I'm looking at the bikes <laughs> on the wall, and this guy walks up. And I was I was big and I was big then, and he goes, "Can I help you?" I was like, "I'm looking for a, a bike. I just signed up for a triathlon." Oh, like what, what kind of triathlon? I signed up for an Ironman. He said, "You haven't ever done a triathlon before, have you?" I said, "No, I need some help." Oh God! So are you coming a mile away? <coughs> That's fucking great. Um, all right. Anything else you can add to uh, you know just for for the average everyday listener out there that, that wants to get started from both nutrition and fitness standpoint? I think a lot of it is it's, it's finding what you're currently doing, reinforcing the fact that you, you make these small lifestyle changes to what you're currently doing. And then like it's a level approach. So like yeah. level one might be changing one food item out. Level two is refining. Level three is refining. And you'll learn through the process of how your body re- responds to <clears> carbs <throat> and fats and proteins. And But I think there's so many fad diets out there right now where people hop on one fad diet, they don't like it on the second fad diet they don't like it and they're just bouncing all over the place and it's not sustainable for them yeah without even really giving it a chance to succeed or fail right um all right coming back to just a couple things in uh, in the book that i wanted to talk about you, you talk a little bit or quite a bit about entitlement and and really how poisonous uh, that that is both of our to our society and, and to each individual why do you suppose it's as bad as it is today uh, and what is your advice for people to uh, avoid having that type of mentality? Honestly, I, I don't know why it's as bad as it is. I don't know if we, we've rewarded everything, but this, this is a clear example. It's happened this past week, and this like got under my skin more than many things in the past. So we got this email from this guy who bought $100 worth of supplements from us. And he said, you know, I, I wanted to support your company. I've been following you for a while. I bought these supplements, but I'm disappointed because I wasn't giving anything for free inside. He said he, he spent $100. He expected a, a, a free supplement inside. Uh, we responded professionally, but I'm thinking, like, what makes you think that like, as a business owner, I can take the loss of giving everyone something for free all the time? Yeah. And it's like, what, what makes you entitled to having, having things for free or, or having things come easy? Yeah. And I think it's, it, it, it is a poison where like people expect certain things. Like someone graduates college, they expect a six figure job. They expect the, the dream life. Like they expect it to come right away based off zero experience in that specific field. Like 
we'll put out feelers for new jobs and what we'll people apply that have no experience, no knowledge, no anything in this, that field they're applying for, but they think they deserve that paycheck. Yeah. And it, it, it just doesn't work that way. Like anyone I know that's reached levels of success has worked years and years and years of compounding to get there. Yeah. I think other people see where they're at and they think, well, I can have it too. It's that easy. Yeah. How do how do you uh, approach, you know, I guess telling people how to avoid settling into that mindset? I mean, I, th- I think a lot of it is, you know, we talk about the process. And we talk about people say enjoy the process, and it's, it's so much easier said than done. Like someone wants to start a business or someone wants to train for some sort of event, it's like hey, just enjoy the process. Yeah. Well, you start the process. The process fucking sucks sometimes. Yeah. So it's like I think instead of trying to enjoy it, you got to respect it. Like respect every part of what it is. Like if you're starting a business, it's going to be brutal. Like don't expect to take a paycheck for years. <clears throat> expect to ruin some relationships. Expect to be alone for a lot of the time. Or if you're you're training for something very very hard, like respect all the suck that you're about to go through. Yeah. But I think so many people want the process to be fun because we're told it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. And there's no respect involved. Well, yeah, you're preaching the choir on that. I mean, you know, I have an online uh, dog training subscription thing I've been doing for almost four years now, which is hard to believe, teamdog.pet. Uh, but, you know, similarly is that, you know, because it's it's a fucking relationship, right, is that, you know, that's one of the things I tell people all the time is enjoy the journey, you know, and it is a journey. Like, you know, enjoy it, learn from it, but but take some time to, to value it because that dog is going to be gone sooner than later. But even even me knowing that, and even people you know hearing that over and over, it sometimes it's still hard. Sometimes they'll still frustrate the shit out of you, uh, and sometimes people still, I think, have pretty unrealistic expectations as it relates to the process and how fast it's supposed to work and, and things of that nature. You know, dog training is is very similar to, to people training in a lot of ways. But uh, at any rate. Two other concepts in the book uh, that I really liked were the giving, uh, you know, giving all or going all in rather, uh, and winning the day back. If you could kind of briefly talk about both of those, yeah, go, going all in. I think this concept is it's one that was reinforced with me in Ranger School. After I failed that first phase, it was kind of it hit my ego. All right, I got to wait six weeks to do this. Do it again. Got the mountain phase, failed that. And that was a point where I was like, fuck, when am I leaving this place? <laughs> and it, it was like this like physical and mental, like going all in mentality where I was like, you know, I'm not leaving here until I get this tab. And like there were no distractions to the outside world. There's nothing else you're focused on. And that was the cool part about you know, a lot of military schools is every other part of your life doesn't really matter Yeah. at that time. It's just there's one thing you're focused on. And there's very... <clears throat> few places in the world where that exists yeah. that kind of environment and I saw the success of going all in there and I applied that to all of the things in my life if I'm going to grow this business I'm going to go all in I'm going to eliminate all these other distractions nothing else matters for the time being if I'm going to train for this marathon nothing else matters Like all the distractions are getting eliminated I'm going all in on this because when you see the success from it once you can replicate that process to a lot of different things yeah yeah, I think uh, you know one way I like to look at it is is cutting cutting out the safety net. You know, is that if you if you kind of remove the the plan Bs, 
it kind of forces you to, to do that, you know, and that's one of the things I see a lot of people fail at or, or the, the reasons why they fail what they're trying to accomplish is because they, they give themselves a way out, you know, and I think uh, as, as much as going all in is a good way to help facilitate that is to, is to remove the ability to, to do anything but that. Um, in terms of winning the day back, uh, if you could kind of talk about that a little bit. Yes, yeah, so this is something I've experienced for the, the longest time where I, as, as soon as I started building this business and we'd have maybe a successful day, maybe we'd have hit like a record day, it'd be quickly followed by that next morning where like nothing that happened previously mattered. Like I'd, I'd, I used to wake up, I still do, but I wake up angry because I'm not where I want to be. Like you wake up and it's like, well, damn, like even though things are going well, we're growing, we're scaling, we're building this thing. And from the outside, everyone's like, oh, you're killing it. You're doing well. But internally, it's 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 this fire. Like, no, I'm not even close to where yeah. I want to be. Yeah. And it fucking, like, it, it gets under your skin. And I had I had a day like this yesterday where I just felt like I was so far from where I wanted to be where I had to, I have to win back each day. And I think so many people, like, they go through the day where it's like, it's just, they're just, they're just living life. They're just going with the flow. And I go with the flow, but, like, you have to, at some point, like, you got to start winning these ones back. You can't let it get away. Yeah. It's like, I'll wake up and I'll wake up angry. And instantly, the first thing I want to do is is win this day back. And winning that day back by maybe I'm, you know, finding a solution to a problem we're currently having. Or I'm implementing new systems that move us forward. Or I'm developing the team to be stronger and smarter. But it's like, each day, how do you win these days back? Which, if you win one day back, doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything. But when you went a thousand days back, that shit compounds, yeah. and you've you've gone light years ahead of where you thought you'd ever be. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you talk about uh, waking up yesterday and being pissed that you're not where you're at. I, I find myself doing that that same thing similarly on a on a pretty regular basis. You know, where when I think back to where I started and to where I'm at now, I'm like, holy fuck! You know, when I first started, I'd have given anything to be where I am now. Right. But now that I'm here, it's like it's nowhere near where, where I want to be. One thing I am curious, because I, I struggle with this too, is there there does come a point where you're you're doing too much for too long and not balancing shit out. You know, whether it's taking a vacation or whatever it is, do you do you find yourself struggling with that? Um, you know, when to say, okay, look. I've got to fucking, you know, invest some time into myself, not even from a nutrition or fitness standpoint, but just from giving yourself a fucking a bandwidth break from focusing on business. Or are you still in that I'm fucking balls to the wall, 100 miles an hour nonstop? No, I mean, I think I'm at that that point right now. Yeah. Like I know I know I need a reset, like a recenter or something. Yeah. Um, I have a wedding coming up, so that's probably going to be like that honeymoon. <laughs> But, you know uh, where you're going yet for your honeymoon? Uh, Riviera Maya. Oh, nice. But I, th- I think it's, I'll go really, really hard for, for really long. But it, when it, I start to get creatively burnt out a little bit, yeah, that's when I know I need a little little break. Running actually like really helps yeah. uh, with that, that, I don't want to say burnout, but like those creative blocks. Yeah. Where I'll go do a long run where it's low impact. I'm not breathing really heavy, but I can just focus on one thing. And, and a lot of my creative like juices come from running. Yeah. Have you had any joint problems, lower body joint problems from the amount of miles you put in? No. I mean, okay. I used to get shin splints when I used to run in the Army. Um, but since, like, adding more volume in, I 
luckily the last year have been injury free. Yeah, that's that's fucking good. How old are you? Uh, about to turn thirty this summer. Yeah. yeah. Well, give it give it another decade. That's right here. Yeah, I can tell you as somebody in, in their forties, it's uh, it's fucking it, it doesn't get any easier. Uh, but I will say that uh, you know what you're doing now in terms of taking care of yourself uh, for sure pays dividends. I know it's it's like with uh, you know a car. You know, I mean, if you maintain it from the get go, it's gonna it's gonna last a while. If you beat the shit out of it, it gets to a point where even if you start taking care of it now, like it's it's kind of almost too late. And I think while the body is still pretty fucking resilient by comparison to a, a piece of machinery. It, it's still, you know, it has its limits. It can only take so much abuse before uh, there's just not a whole lot you can do. And I see, I, I've turned into the guy that I used to like roll my eyes at, you know, when I was in my fucking early to mid twenties, beating the shit out of myself. And they're like, don't, you're not going to be able to do that when you're my age. And, and if you start now and take better care of yourself, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it would serve you well. But uh, like with most people, I didn't fucking listen, but well, that's anyway. like that's like with uh, when I was strictly doing powerlifting strength training. Yeah, there was always something that was hurting. Yeah, my elbow, my knee, my back. But now that I've done more of a balanced style of training, nothing hurts. Yeah, no, that's good shit. Uh, so what now? <clears throat> well, now I'm uh, still trying to qualify for this Boston Marathon. So the, the first race of the season was February 16th. I shaved off 50 minutes of my marathon time, so I ran a 3:24. That's fucking. That's good. My next marathon is Eugene, Oregon, end of April. Um, and I'm, I'm going to shoot for like a 3.10, 3.12, and then shoot for the qualifier, the sub three, the marathon after that. So, I mean, it sounds like the the goal is just to qualify, not so much to do well at Boston, right? It's just Yeah, the goal is to qualify. Yeah. I mean, I want to run Boston, but one of the big reasons I wanted to do this, for myself internally too, but... To, to show people like man you can you can do a little whatever you want to do like if you just like build this plan establish the schedule and like go all in yeah well i'm going to show you i'm going to go from a, a 415 marathon <laughs> to a sub three yeah and then is, mat- is that what your first one was my my austin marathon in 2019 was 415 that's fucking great i it's, mean it's still not a bad time but no but this last one's 324 yeah but the amount of people saying you will not do this yeah you will never do this when I cross that finish line, sub three, yeah, she's gonna be flipping double, double middle up. fingers yeah. up. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's fucking great. Um, a phenomenal story. I, I love. Uh, I really like your book. Um, I think it's it's a very good uh, representation of of a lot of different lessons learned in the military and a, and a good childhood, from the sounds of it. Um, you know that all kind of contribute to funneling your personality and and drive into into what it it has made and and you've become because of it and for anybody out there listening uh, it's very succinct Uh, it's it's an easy read and a good read and and you'll pull a lot from it Uh, what i like is 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 how simple it is and not in a elementary or lack of content way and that you know so many books i think that are that are similar to that in terms of I'm not going to use the word self-help, but just, you know, kind of in the motivational space are, are way over fucking complicated and, and just like kind of the same mentality. It seems like you, you have a mentality that, that seems to, to ring pretty true in everything that you do and that, you know, start small and it's the baby steps, which is something I talk about and, and I mention in dog training fucking constantly is, you know, starting one, one foot in front of the other. But I, I love the simplicity that you have in the book and in, in kind of your 
philosophy on on life and business and how you how you approach things. It's it's refreshing. It's easy to follow, uh, and I think it's it's a valuable reminder to uh, to us all, myself included, on on how to do do things. So I appreciate you you sharing the book. Appreciate you spending the time, um, and I think you got a great story and a good really good thing going on. I, I wish you the best for uh, for the boss, and I hope you crush it. No, I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Uh, where can people find you and, and the company uh, to, to try some of these supplements? Yeah, so Instagram, it's Nick Bear, B-A-R-E, fitness. Uh, if you go on YouTube, you search Nick Bear, uh, you'll probably see me shirtless running somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the company is uh, www.bearperformancenutrition.com. All right, good shit. We'll have uh, links uh, to all this stuff uh, on the YouTube channel as well as in the show notes for uh, for the audio version of the podcast. But uh at any rate, I joke about uh, you know the nine people listening. Uh, one thing I want to take a quick second uh, is just to thank you guys, the listeners. I, I'm continually blown away by uh, the level of support that you guys show um, for this mic drop podcast that uh, that we have uh, grown over the last couple of years. And uh, I really can't thank your uh, your guys' support enough. Without you, this show would not fucking exist. We wouldn't have sponsors. We wouldn't have guys like Nick coming up to share their story. So uh, thanks for, for continuing to tune in uh, week after week, uh, show after show. And as we wrap up here, I want to take a quick second to thank our sponsors again, uh, Origin Labs, uh, which is the maker of Jocko's products, Jocko Fueled, Go Discipline, Krill Oil, uh, Joint Formulas, you name it. Uh, they also do boots, uh, pants, which I'm wearing, uh, geese. Uh, just a great, great company that's been with us from the start. Uh, they've shown us a, a tremendous amount of support and, uh, and I use and love their products very much. I uh, can't recommend them enough as well as Bub's Naturals, uh, which again, 10% of all of Bub's Naturals named after Glenn Doherty, a good friend of mine that was killed in Benghazi, 10% of all of their, uh, product sales go to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, uh, helping veterans <coughs> achieve recreation all over the place. So, uh, check out both companies, uh, both great supporters of the podcast, uh, both great products. Uh, and again, we appreciate their support very much. Again, Nick, thanks for coming. Uh, I know while Austin is not super far away, it's not uh, not 20 minutes away. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to, to share your story with us. No, thank you. To the listener again, uh, just to, for good measure, go choke yourself. Uh, and until next time, this is Mike Drop. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcasts.
The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets Podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.